use the times, both the low and the high times, uh, when you have succeeded at something really difficult, even though you didn't, you didn't feel like you were made for that moment. Um, or that you weren't prepared for that moment, but you succeeded anyway. Like, what was it in that moment that led you to succeed? That's Myrna Valliero, today's guest on The Caroline Gleick Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Fat Tire. Born on a bike, Fat Tire strives to be a role model for other businesses in their impact on the communities they serve and the planet itself. Fat Tire is a certified B Corp and gives 1% of profits to environmental causes. They were key partners for my 2019 Everest Climb for Equality. They support nonprofits, including Protect Our Winners and the High Fives Foundation, and they continue to use business to make the world a better place. Learn more by following them on Instagram at Fat Tire. With everything going on today protests against police brutality, an awakening of the persistence of racial injustice in society, and a global pandemic, it's more important than ever that we find places to celebrate joy, and specifically Black joy from Black people's stories. I know that seems counterintuitive to advocate to celebrate joy right now, but joy will fuel us through these difficulties. Today's guest on The Caroline Gleick Show exudes joy in everything she does. Myrna's an ultra runner, adventurer, and author of a memoir entitled A Beautiful Work in Progress. She's been featured on CNN, NBC, Runner's World, and in a documentary called The Myrnavator, which I highly recommend you check out. She's one of my personal heroes and favorite people to follow on social media because of her athletic accomplishments, contagious smile, and positive content. Welcome to the show, Myrna. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. So where are you chatting with me from today? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> this is how I feel. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Vermont uh, and it's super hot here, which is really unusual. Um, mm-hmm. I think everywhere is experiencing a, a heat wave. And so we are too, and it's just very hot and uncomfortable. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. Because it's okay. <laughs> I can't really complain. There are lots of worse things going on in the world right now. So how long have you been living in Vermont? Because you're originally from Brooklyn, right? I'm from Brooklyn, but I haven't lived in Brooklyn for a long time. Um, I, you know, but I will rep Brooklyn hard forever. Um, but I moved here, uh, January of 2019, uh, after, a, just a fun trip to come see my friend up here who is also a runner. And she had come to one of my, she'd come to my very first, uh, slow AF trail running adventures retreats. And she said, come up to, to Vermont and we'll have an adventure week. And that's what I did. I did that in December of 2018. And she, and we, we did a snowboarding lesson, not my favorite sport. Um, <laughs> uh, we did some cross country skiing. We did snowshoeing. We ate really well. Uh, we did some indoor rock climbing. And I was like, I need to live here. <laughs> and so I found an apartment the next day. And I moved here the next month. That's so cool. So where in Vermont are you exactly? I'm in Montpelier. So it is the capital city of Vermont and city. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a town. <laughs> but uh, it's a lovely, lovely place to be. You know, I get to, I can train. I, you know, all seasons. Um, I am a half a mile away from the nearest like real trail. 
And, uh, you know, there are mountains all around, obviously it's the Green Mountain State. And, uh, but I, you know, I don't have to use my car every day either. So um, I love it. I'm, and I am, I'm feeling really fortunate to be grounded right now here in Vermont because I can still do uh, what it is that I do and you know, be outside all the time. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's, uh, it would be so hard to be, my heart goes out to everyone in New York City right now, and especially in the really like er, densely condensed urban places, because I feel very fortunate as well to be here in Utah, where we have tons of miles of trails to roam and like our restrictions haven't been too strict. And Vermont is also one of my favorite states to go to because I love like just driving through, there's no billboards or anywhere. And I guess what I love about Vermont and the time I've spent there is that, well, the city's really fun for like a day or two. After that, I sort of feel like I lose my sense of identity because I'm so disconnected from nature. So do you feel like in Vermont, you're able to maintain that connection better? Oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, and I will... My, my entire family is in New York right now, um, and they're all in Brooklyn, which is, you know, the one of the hardest hit boroughs. And uh, they're all fine. They're fine. Um, and I've invited them to come up here and stay with me at the beginning. And they were like, no, we'll stay in New York <laughs> because they are city people through and through. Um, but uh, I... Uh, I am, you know, again, I feel really fortunate to be here. And um, I, every time I drive in, uh, you know, because like, like you, I travel a lot, um, always on a plane. Uh, but every time I drive in uh, on the highway and I pass the, the state line from Massachusetts to Vermont, I'm like, <sighs> Green Mountain State. <laughs> Vermont really has that effect. I feel the same way from my trips there. I've been on a few ski trips there. And I, one time I rode my bike from Maine to Vermont. So across wow. those three, four, three states, New Hampshire, did. it was, it was really cool. <laughs> Good cross training for skiers, you know, with my skier knees, but I totally feel you there. And so growing up in Brooklyn, like how did you become an ultra runner? Oh, um, I, you know, I've always loved being outdoors, even through middle school, I went to public public school where they had lots of different um, programs and stuff for us that are p- private public partnerships where we would go to the Adirondack Mountains for the weekends. We would go just on camping trips and, and random places. And, uh, and I really just fell in love with that. The Adirondack Mountains are where I fell in love with the mountains. And I said, I need to live there. Like when I was I think I was 10 or 11. I was like, I, I need to live here because I had had such a great time with my teachers and camping in a lean-to and learning all of these different skills and being cold uh, and like having it snow in April, which was like a big thing. And, um, and like being, being scared of bears, <laughs> like it was a whole experience. And even though it was traumatic in some respects, <laughs> it really just sold me uh, onto that. And I also went to sleepaway camp when I was, when I was eight and uh, that in the Catskills. And, you know, that was another experience that where I just fell in love with being outside and, um, you know, just really craved grass <laughs> and fresh air. And, you know, and even as uh, a, a kid in Brooklyn, we, our lifestyle was outside, especially in the summertime, you weren't allowed to stay in a house. You had to go out, you had to ride your bike, you had to play games, you had to go to the park around the corner, you had to hang out with your cousins all day until don't come back in the house because we don't want to... You go out, stay all day, go to free lunch at the public schools, and then come back at night when the street lamps come on. So, um, so I'm used to being outside. And so 
you know, I played sports in high school. I played field hockey and lacrosse um, and started running because I was like, there's so much running in these sports and I suck at it. So I started running then back in 1989 and um, just as a way to be a better athlete um, for those sports. And so I could contribute to my teams better because I love the teams and I love the coach. And uh, they really took me in. And that, that you know, like my first day of field hockey actually like, changed my life. Like, I wouldn't be a runner if I hadn't tried out for field hockey. And, uh, and so I, I continued doing that, you know, all through my, my college, just recreationally. Um, I rode a bike, you know, I was like swam a lot. And then um, fast forward to like after I had my kid, after, after I got married, after I had my kid, I uh, moved to Maryland. I had a, um, a health scare where I thought I was uh, having a heart attack. And it uh, turned out not to be a heart attack, but I, we didn't know at the, at the point. And um, that prompted me to get back in the, on the wagon, um, so to speak, and start running again on a treadmill. Um, and yeah, and so that kind of grew into, um, you know, 5Ks, training for 5Ks and just setting bigger and bigger goals and like having my body feel good again and my mind and spirit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I started my blog, Fat Girl Running, um, because I was like, I'm, you know, I actually lost weight after that whole health scare, um, with running and I just did my own version and a lot of people don't know about this one, <laughs> my own version of Biggest Loser. Cause I was, I was, it wasn't really about losing weight. It was about being able to sustain, um, working out for five hours a day or six hours a day. And because it made me feel so good. And I was, I felt so strong and my, you know, my, my skin cleared up and I had so much energy. So, uh, so, but I ended up losing weight, uh, after that, but then I stopped losing weight, but I still kept running. Cause I was like, I, I've always loved running. So, um, uh, and then after that, like I just shot for bigger and bigger distances. Um, I personally think my body is made for the long stuff. Uh, I haven't done like a hundred miler yet, but we'll see about that. <laughs> but, it's um, extreme. It, it is just one. I think one and I'll be done. And I say that now. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, I did my first trail marathon after I'd done two road marathons and the, the race director, um, puts the medal over, over my head, uh, after I finished my first trail marathon, uh, and looks at me, it doesn't congratulate me. It doesn't say, uh, nice job. <laughs> Way to go. He says 50 K next year. And that oh, was it. Awesome. That was it. And so I was like, <sighs> you better do it. I just want to celebrate my, <laughs> my third marathon. <laughs> but, um, but that was it. It's, you know, he, he planted a seed the next year I did my first 50 K and I was hooked. And so that was, you know, that was, that was how I became a, an ultra marathoner. That's a really long story. <laughs> no, I loved it. Thank you for giving me the backstory because there's so many parts that I would love to have you expand more about. And I mean, running is so incredibly healing, um, but also this connection to nature and um, yeah, like how do you, I think that what you described, especially when you were growing up, going to the Adirondacks and the Catskills and finding that sense of power and healing in nature. Like, I think that was really similar to what I experienced when I was a teenager. And I went backpacking with my dad and my brothers and like, I hated it while I was doing it, but it became 
my favorite childhood experiences that I wanted to keep reliving. And I feel like so many of the problems in modern society now are because people are so disconnected from nature. And how do you think we can encourage people to find that even, I mean, it doesn't have to be like this crazy adventure. Like it can just be a runner on the blog, but I was curious if you had any ideas for how we can get more people to reconnect with nature. Sure. That's a great question. Uh, there are so many different ways. Um, I think, um, just to give you an example, when I, um, when I was named one of the national geographic adventures of the year in 2018, I was like, me, like why I'm like, I don't, I don't do what Caroline Gleick does. <laughs> I don't Whatever. I don't like ride a kayak on like class five rapids. I don't do I don't ice climb yet. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't do really like it that stuff, much. You know? yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> my favorite sport. Well, like, I just want to try it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I was like, I you know, I just I'm just a trail runner. Um, but I think what they saw was that you know, that seems extreme to a lot of people. Um, and even, and it is, it's definitely an entry, uh, entry sport to other things, to other sorts of adventures, I think. And so, so I, like, I feel like that's my role. Like my role is to bring people into the space and say like, Oh, there, there's so many different things that you can do here. And, you know, as humans, think of the term biophilia, biophilia and how we are, uh, we are well, obviously we're we're animals and we're <laughs> like interconnected with the earth, uh, but we have forgotten that you know just like you said. And so, but our inclination is actually to be outside. And but once you convince people of that, uh, it's so much easier for them. I, I used to take kids out backpacking um, in the Appalachians, in the sub southern Appalachians, and uh, a lot of them would kick and scream. You know, this, how does this? They have anything to do with my education and uh, you know, and I don't the bugs mm -hmm. <laughs> and the bears. And you know, the first two days are always super, super hard, but by the third day, and these were kids, these were like really wealthy kids, you know, kids from all over the United States. And so we would take them into the woods and then after they got into rhythm, after they got the best sleep of their life on the second night, because like there was nothing else to do because it was so dark, uh, and you were scared, so you just went to sleep. Um they started appreciating, like the quiet here is just immense, you know, and it, and it kind of is, is it, it's a comfort. And the, and, you know, like hearing the birds in the morning and just waking up to that just does something to your spirit, right? Um, you know, and there's all that research. And um, Florence Williams, for example, in her book, The Nature Fix, she talks about, you know, just 20 minutes um, in a green space can change your work life can change your professional life, can lower your um, blood pressure dramatically. So um, there's all this research and there's all this like anecdotal evidence, you know, like your story, my story, anybody who recreates outside will, will be able to tell you that, right? So um, yeah, like, and now, now that a lot of us have a little bit more time on our hands because we're home, we're working from home. Um, and to some extent, some, some of us are, can, determine our own schedules, we can get outside more. You can take our kids outside more if you have kids. Um, you can take a walk. I mean, there's so many things that you can do. Um, I can talk about this for hours, by the way. So, 
No, I love it. I think it's a great reminder. And the body of research now, this growing body of research that shows that one of the leading causes of depression is people's disconnection from nature. I mean, to me, it's like never been more clear. And even like on a daily basis, I'm just like, oh, I wish I could set up my office outside because being inside, I just get like, especially now the weather's so nice out. I just want to like, be outside for like eight hours a day and never work. And so it's been hard for me with all these virtual meetings and like, it's weird time because I would think I would have all this extra time, but I'm actually just like more stressed out than ever. And I mean, I think it's probably partly because the global pandemic that we're in. We're all, we're all traumatized. So like it's a real thing and we're all suffering stress because of it. Yeah. So what I was curious, what have you learned from ultra running that helps you deal with these other challenging situations in life? Like we're dealing with as a country, as a world with COVID-19. Um, Oh, so many things, uh, that sometimes things don't turn out the way you hope they would. (laughs) Um, you know, that sometimes, uh, you have to manage your expectations right? That's your expectations. That's something that, you know, we all do people who uh, are in the outdoors and work in the outdoors uh, because sometimes there's a storm and so you have to change your route or you have to stop for a couple of hours or a couple of months um, and pivot and learn how to deal with the change in the moment. And so like, there's so many things that, you know, <laughs> doing just, you know, just a, a, a just doing a marathon or doing an ultra marathon um, teaches you to deal with boredom. It teaches you to deal with discomfort, you know, like hours and hours and hours of discomfort and you just learn to deal with it. But that, you know, discomfort, that's not necessarily harmful. I'm not talking about being injured or anything. Um, And just like, just being uneasy, Mm -hmm. but knowing that you are working towards something greater. Right. And so, so there's all, all of that. And then thinking of, of just, uh, working towards the long game, even though we don't know exactly what the result is going to be. That's, I mean, that's ultra marathoning and you know, the nugget. One of the things I also think about a lot when I'm out on for a big day or a long run or something is like, if you make a mistake or something didn't go like you wanted to be able to remember, like, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so to try to like finish strong, but right now we don't really know when we're going to finish. And so I feel like I started strong, but now I'm weak. And so, but just not letting those like little things throw you off, you know, being able to like let them bounce off you. Right. Well, I mean, I also, I also think that, you know, that the little things are important. Right. And I, I like to acknowledge, you know, that I feel sad and that I, you know, Oh, this race was canceled. Boston was just canceled today, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it's sad and you just allow yourself to be sad, but you have to be able to dig yourself out of that. Right. And then see the long game. Boston is going to happen again. It might look different. Um, you know, you might have to be cute again. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like what, what really is important? And I think that this time that we have now allows us to see what is, what's important, what really is crucial to us. Yeah. So with all the races changing, are there any races that are going to happen that you're training for right now? Well, uh, well, New York City has not been canceled yet. <laughs> um, I don't think, right? Uh, uh, you know, as of today, the New York um, City Marathon, the New York City Marathon. But if, if Boston, if, if Boston's not happening, I I don't know. Um, 
But uh, there's well, there's a race in Sweden that I'm signed up for. That's called the Lidingalopet. It's a 30k trail race. Cool. Um, there's Amsterdam uh, TCS Amsterdam Marathon. Um, but you know, if any of those don't happen, I've, I've had a really uh, like I'm I'm currently injured. Mm-hmm. She came back from the doctor, and um, and I uh, I. I need to rest. Mm-hmm. And so I personally uh, am seeing this as a time to rest and a time to work on my second book and a time to oh. rehab my whatever's going on with my leg, um, rehab it, uh, do lots of PT, do, you know, do all of the maintenance stuff that I don't always do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now they have to, uh, but you always have to do maintenance work, but you know, sometimes you don't see that. And, um, and, uh, you know, and really, and spend time with my boy, yeah. um, my, and my husband's, um, here, he usually works in New York or in Africa, but he's up here now because all the work has dried up in New York. And, um, and so we're just, you know, being a family and eating together and yelling at each other. And yeah, <laughs> so. I feel like I'm just endlessly doing dishes and it's just <laughs> me and my husband. And I'm like, how can I eat? I'm like always hungry. And it's not emotional eating. Like I am genuinely hungry a lot. And I'm like, how? How can I eat? Like, what did I do before this? Like, how did I feed myself? Because I feel like I'm cooking a lot right now. Yeah, cooking a lot. I, I actually just stopped cooking, and my, yeah. my son is really into cooking. He's oh, a, cool. He's, we call him um, GRTB for Gordon Ramsay the Black. I love that. <laughs> and uh, if you're ever on my Facebook, that's where I post uh, his little ramblings and his. Uh, his hovering of me in the kitchen and, and wondering if I finished it with butter and stuff like he's hilarious. And so like, you know, just watching that, watching that is really cool. And, That's um, so cool. you know, but like in terms of like the, the food and the dish, the dishes, can we talk about the dishes? Oh the dishes are ridiculous. And I think my dishwasher is on its last leg and it's new. Oh um, so <laughs> it is, and you know, it, but you realize like how much, how much of your life is, is on the move. Right, mm-hmm. like I'm mm-hmm. always in an airport or uh, in a theater speaking or in a hotel room, and you know, grabbing that. And so, so it's really interesting to see that. Um, oh, oh, yeah, I, I gotta wash this pot. <laughs> I know. I and just like nailing the basics of like three healthy meals a day. It just it's crazy. I mean, I have a lot. I, it, it's just it's really interesting because I've been trying. Like while we've been home, I mean, we're eating much more healthily. My husband cooks a lot for me. His name is Rob Lee. When he was growing up, they called him Chef Boyar Lee. So <laughs> he's also got the cook with my with my son. Yeah. <laughs> I know I need to show more of his cooking because he does a nice job for us. But um, it, yeah, it's really interesting how things have changed. And it's kind of, I agree with you. I've also been sort of enjoying the rest because 2019 was like a big year for us where we were constantly on the move. And I'm like super excited just to be home. And you and were, chilling. You were on Everest. Uh, I was on ago. Everest a year ago. Yeah. And then I had ACL surgery four days after I got home. Right. So I'm about a year out of ACL surgery now. And I feel like I just didn't, I was just like, go, 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 you know, like speaking engagement and trip and like, I was never home for more than like a week or two, like two weeks at the most. And so it's just, but one thing for me that's nice is like, yes, I can go back to the self-care routines that get so often neglected. And then I actually feel like I'm able to train more consistently than ever because 
I just have this, the time and the routine. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of been nice. I feel like I'm more fit and more healthy in a lot of ways than I have been in a while. Yeah. I'm so, definitely more consistent. Uh, well, not today. <laughs> Uh, I've definitely like had time to sit and like look at my training plan and talk with my coach and uh, and not always be somewhere else and like just running the mountains right behind you know Montpelier and and just like really focusing on that and just focusing on getting stronger and you know like doing things specifically for climbing <laughs> yeah <laughs> climbing and climbing uh, but uh, yeah it's been it's been very very uh, useful in that way too for me. Yeah. So what advice do you have for people who want to get into running, but they have no clue where to start? You can um, hire me as your coach. No, um, <laughs> that's great advice. I'm not taking any more clients right now. Okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it's especially now get out and there's so many different plans and things that you could uh, find online. A lot of people do couch to 5k. I don't think it's for everyone uh, because they, they have you up and running a, for a long period of time uh, really quickly. Uh, and a lot of people don't uh, mentally like the idea of staying on week two for another week and not advancing the week three because it's all about competition with self and I got to, well, if I, you know, if I don't do week three, that means I'm a failure. And so, um, so there are other plans out there. Um, I think there's none to run. That's another one. Um, there are, or you don't even need a plan. You can just go and run not too fast run so that you can talk at the same time. Uh, and, you know, at a conversational pace, um, you know, as we're social distancing and in most states, um, you know, six feet away from each other, uh, or you can talk to yourself uh, if you're by yourself. Or with um, your household, if you have people your in your household, household. Or your yeah. Son or, your, or you, whatever, from your I'm not everybody. Not everyone has a son, but um, but yeah, there's there are many many ways of doing it, and I think the the most important thing is to realize that that is that is the truth. You there are many ways to run. Um, you don't have to run fast. You don't have to run around the track. You don't have to do a marathon. You don't even have to do a 5K. If you know running around the block or running to the next light pole um, is what you have right now, then accept that. Okay, well. Um, tomorrow I'm going to try to run two light poles. Um, you know, and if you were formerly a runner or formerly very athletic, understand that that's not where you are now, uh, and give yourself some grace, uh, and give your, and allow yourself to start over from, you know, point zero and then, and then move forward from that. Yeah. Having that compassion for yourself with running and not comparing yourself to where you were. That's, I mean, that's just across the board with all athletics, but that's really good advice. I mean, and with, with my knee injury, it's been really hard to get back into running. Like I started running a few years ago, actually right around the time that your film, the Mernovator came out. And I started running as a way to cope with this like gnarly cyber stalker situation that I had going on. And for some reason, it was just like this space where I could just be and I could felt like I could be free and I could feel powerful and I could do it wherever I was. And I've just grown to love it. I'm like so addicted to running. (laughs) I love it so much. And it's great. It's great cross training for what I do in the winter with backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering. So I appreciate Thanks for sharing the advice about 
how to get into it. And I wanted can I to ask, wait, can I just say how phenomenal you are though? Like just watching your REI film and then watching everything that you do. And then you just did a story where uh, you went, you like biked up to some mountain and then you hiked up and then you, uh, and then you skied down. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I want to be able to do something like that. But it was just so cool to follow that and that people are actually able to do that and have the physical stamina and the, and the expertise uh, in like reading the mountains. And stuff. like, I love that. I just wanted to say that I, I watched, I watch your stories all the time. Thank you. <laughs> I love watching your stories too. And I just, I guess like the part I felt like I could really, I just, I'm always like, if anyone ever hires me for a speaking engagement and they're like, we want to hire someone else. I'm like, hire Myrna because I want to work with her. Like I want to meet her and hang out with her in real life. So I hope one of these days it works and we can both be at like the corporate, the really well-paid corporate keynote together. <laughs> Keeping my help fingers crossed out, Help the sister out and I will help you. <laughs> yeah. Likewise. I'm always pushing it out there because I would really love to work with you because I, yeah, I just, and I really love that you write about running and you write about your story in a way that's very inclusive because in mountaineering and in ski mountaineering and the outdoor community, it can be so male dominated. And so I've really, and like, I've really struggled with imposter syndrome and like, like sometimes I even look at videos of myself doing the stuff I've done and I'm like, who is that woman? Like, <laughs> I don't recognize her. So do you have advice for people who struggle with those feelings or any sort of like, like self-talk or advice for how to step into the space? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, it's, I was on a call earlier today with uh, a, a guy who is a, like, who was a Navy SEAL. And, uh, and we were talking about similar things. Um, and he said, um, you know, when you are, when you're having a low moment or when you're having something like imposter syndrome and, um, because men have it too, and, uh, but not to the extent that women have it. And so, cause I'm sure there's I'm sh- science behind that, <laughs> but, um, uh, he said to use yourself as a reference point. Use the times, both the low and the high times, uh, when you have succeeded at something really difficult, even though you didn't, you didn't feel like you were made for that moment um, or that you weren't prepared for that moment, but you succeeded anyway. Like, what was it in that moment that led you to succeed? And so I, you know, I, I love that. I think that's what I do. Um, you know, there are tons of things that I go into and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. How, like, why did they pick me when I was asked to help train Will Smith for his first half marathon? I was like, um, me? Like, that is so <laughs> <and> sick. I, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I was like, I, you know, and I, I think it had to be because of the, 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 um, the REI video. And so, and I, I went there and I'm pacing back and forth in my, Four Seasons Hotel that they put me up at. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and, you no, know, and I'm like, I texted my publicist and I said, Margo, I, I, I was like, this is, this is not my league. And uh, she goes, oh, oh, this is your league. And so I did, I went in, in the bathroom and looked in the mirror and did the super, the, the Superman pose or the Wonder Woman pose. Yeah. Uh, because that really works. And uh-huh. um, 
And so, <laughs> and then I went in there and then, you know, I just went in there like, okay, well, I know what I'm doing. I am a coach. I'm a certified coach. And clearly, and I, and I had to talk to myself out loud. Clearly they saw something in me that they thought was useful to them. Clearly they think that I know what I'm doing. And so I'm going to act like I know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to be my, myself. I'm going to crack jokes at Will Smith. Um, gonna be, I'm going to be hard on him just mm-hmm. like I am to my cross country athletes. And, and that's going to be it. I'm going to, you know, and it was so fun. I got a tiny little credit <laughs> in the show that we were shooting. And, um, and that, but that, that was cool. And I was like, sometimes I needed other people to say, Hey, you know, you know what you're doing. This is, this is you, this is your thing. And then, um, and, but many times it has to be internal. Right. Yeah. Like I've done this before, Uh, or or I've done something really hard before, and it was hard, and and it sucked the first couple of months. Yeah. As I got used to it, as I got into a routine, it got a lot easier. It does. Yeah. I love the advice you said about the power pose, the Wonder Woman, because I've been reading this book, Presence by Amy Uh Cuddy, and I've been listening to it as an audiobook while I run, and it's like just listening to it, I like find myself just like woman spreading all over. <laughs> and I find myself smiling and my running gets better and my knee feel like everything feels lighter. And so I think that's a great advice to do some woman spreading before those moments and <laughs> take up that space. Because I just think like, you know, when I think about my life, like I'm 34 and I feel like I was really confident until I became like an adolescent girl. Mm-hmm. And like going through my teens, I felt like I was so uncomfortable with my body and the changes. I'm still super uncomfortable with like body image and everything. And like the society, I feel like especially just makes, wants to make women shrink and be as small as possible. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm still overcoming that, (laughs) you know, 20 years later. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's going to be a probably a a thing for the rest of your life because that's just the way our society is built. It sucks. Yeah, it it does. sucks. Yeah, But that's what's so cool about the example that you bring in sports is like, I just think sports are such a great way for women to find their power and their confidence. Yeah. I mean, and as I told you uh, about my, my field hockey experience, there was that first day, my first day at a new school, boarding school. I'm like the, the blackest one there, <laughs> you know, the, the biggest one there. And my coach, we, we had to do uh, line drills. Mm-hmm. Uh, which used to be called suicides, but then now they're line drills. Um, and I, and you know, and this is after having run a time, having to run a time mile and a, and a mile warm up, and then <laughs> doing other things at practice and in September heat and humidity. And, and, you know, as I'm huffing and puffing, like I was last on the line drills and I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was dying. She ran up to me and I thought she was going to yell at me and, and say, you know, you're too slow. You can't be here. And so she, she ran up to me and I'm huffing and puffing and, and she's like, Hey, she's like, you're, you're doing it. And I'm, and I couldn't talk. Cause, <laughs> and, uh, and I just, I nodded. she's like, yeah, you know what? This is hard, but you're doing it. And I, and I think that means you want to be here and she's like, keep, keep up the good work. And then she ran, ran off to support somebody else. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I felt so, uh, loved is not the word, but I felt accepted. And I felt like, because I, like, I was totally expecting something different, you know, like you can't be here because you're too slow or you don't know what you're doing. And, and that was the whole spirit of high school for me. So like, so unlike a lot of people, high school was the best time of my life. 
where I just grew and grew and grew. I tried everything. I had great teachers. I, you know, I had dance classes. We had gymnastics. I went to a fancy boarding school, right? And, um, and it was just the greatest time of my life. And I got to try all these different things. I got to play varsity sports and I had never been an athlete before. And, and, you know, like I, every time I go out and run, I remember that. Like, I remember like why it is that I started running in the first place, you know? And, uh, and it just brings me so much joy. And so, and I think that's part of the reason that I'm able to just like be in the body that I am. Like I've never, like my family never had an issue with it. It was only society, <laughs> you know, um, you know, my, my coaches never had an issue with it. You know, I played really well. I played lacrosse really well and I played field hockey really well. Um, and some, you know, some people would say, despite my, I was like, just because I was, I was a good athlete. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like, and I, and I wish that more girls could see that, um, you know, whatever sport they decide to play or, or that they're interested in, uh, cause it absolutely helps you during adolescence. Uh, and, you know, because when you have that intimate knowledge of your body by playing sports or being athletic, that carries over into everything. It carries over into your confidence. It carries over into the way you physically carry yourself. Um, and, and it makes it easier to deal with like the little insults and all these things that happen, um, you know, as a teenager. So, um, and I, you know, and I say that as a teacher, <laughs> someone who taught, um, adolescents for 18 years. Oh, so, wow. That's so cool. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. That's so great that you had coaches and people in your life that were really always like encouraging and, and positive because, I feel like, yeah, that's like definitely one place where a lot of people could just improve is to really believe in other people mm -hmm. too and not believe in be other dismissive. people. Yeah. Well, I was curious as well. You kind of talked about this a little bit as an adolescent, but do you have any tips, especially for me, about how to deal with the trolls and naysayers now? Man, I, uh, <laughs> um, as I, I, I just put up a huge post the other day on uh, somebody kind of, I was, I wouldn't call it shaming me, but just like asking me to question my geotagging. Uh, and there's a very specific reason why I do that. And so like, and I didn't respond immediately and I took some time I did research and, um, and then I responded. Um, and, uh, and so like that is, that's kind of the way that I deal with people. Like I don't get a whole lot of trolls on my page or in my, you know, in my DMs, but I like, if I do work, say for Strava, um, that's out of my control and they have a much larger audience than I do. And so, and there are people, you know, they're the type A's, they're in the type A's, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that don't, that are shocked and don't want to see people that are, are outside of their idea of what an athlete looks like. And so like, there will be a lot of stuff going on there on that page or under like one of the companies that I'm, that I'm uh, collaborating with, for example. And so I actually just, I don't read comments anymore. Like, I, you know, um, on other people's, um, platforms because I, cause I know what, I know what's out there and it's, and, and there's nothing new and it's really hard because, and I, and I have a physiological reaction when I do read something like that, my heart rate goes up and you know, and I get a headache and I'm like, I don't, I don't need to read that because it, it, it makes me physically ill. Um, because it's hard like, you know, people say, Oh, brush it off. You know, it comes with the territory. It doesn't have to. 
No. Those people are making choices to be mean and to be nasty and to, uh, and to be dismissive. And um, I'm going to let them do that because I have work to do. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I'm trying to get more disciplined about not reading the comments because it is so damaging. And then once you read it, you just can't, you can't unhear it. Like you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop thinking about it. And I loved your response to the geotagging thing because that was, I'll link to that in the show notes, but it was such a great thoughtful response. And I just really appreciate the work you're doing to make the outdoors more inclusive. And so how else can and I don't, if you don't feel comfortable about the, talking about this, I wanted to talk a bit about race and diversity in the outdoor community. And I was curious, like, how can white people better support the work in dismantling white supremacy in the outdoors and in the world in general? Because like what's been happening lately is so disturbing. And it's just like, I mean, I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> I know it's, it's horrible. Like that people that we live in a society where people can't go for a run and feel safe. And like where these murders are still happening, this racism, like it's such a disease and a virus. And it's just, you know, I think that, I think that people, number one, have to acknowledge that it's, that it's happening and that it's a thing and that it is racism and that there is something called white supremacy and that there is something called um, white privilege. Uh, and, to, and, and I think people really need to learn what those things are. Um, you know, and, you know, Google is a great resource. Bing is a great resource, you know, and like and to take answers, to get answers from different sources. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, knowledge is so crucial. Like to know what these to know what these things are, and to stop um, uh, uh, parroting just things that you hear on the internet. Um, you know things about oh identity politics. Do you even know what that means? Do you know what what it what it means to have an identity? Do you know what your identity is? I actually just like before we started this conversation, just put something on my Facebook. My 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 previous work was as a diversity and edu- um, equity and inclusion educator um, and Spanish teacher and music teacher, but that's a lot of stuff. But <laughs> But where I, I did seminars, and so I just introduced a seminar for specifically for white people who want to start the work, and they don't they don't know where to start um, because I'm not going to do the work for free. I'm not going to do it for you for free. I'm not going to tell you what to do and and allow you to practice on me. And so that's that's another thing, you know. Like, there's if you have friends, I guess uh, that are that are. Um, uh, people of color or who are experiencing something like this, um, you know, it's it's a fine line of like asking for help and then burdening that burdening them with something that perhaps you can do on your own. Um, but I, I realized I realized as an educator that some people need direction. Uh, I have those skills, and so like I'm offering it to people um, because I've always worked in predominantly white environments anyway. And uh, but I think that people need to be able to practice these skills. You learn the skills. You have um, you have some conversation um, that is uncomfortable, and um, you have to be able to be uncomfortable, um, and and just to sit in the discomfort, uh, and 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 not to conflate your discomfort with be with a feeling of not being safe. Because there's there's discomfort, and then there's um, lack of safety, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just like. Be, be, be uncomfortable, okay? I want you to examine your deepest biases. I want you to examine, um, you know, how we are all complicit in this. Uh, we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to devise some strategies for, you know, how to deal with um, Uncle Uncle Tom at 
Thanksgiving when he <laughs> said something like this. Right. Um, right. You know, and how to deal with people who say, oh, I don't see color, um, <laughs> you know, or I'm colorblind and how to, how to, how to you know, face those conversations with both knowledge and um, conviction and the will to do better. So um, there, there are many, many different ways. I think that um, I love the idea of reading um, and, and doing research, but we have to go beyond reading because you can't just read and then call it a day. Right. You have not done the work. You are not an ally. You are not a, an advocate. Um, so you have to go beyond that. You have to actually do, do something. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be like going to a protest. I don't do protests. <laughs> you know, um, my activism looks very different from someone, from someone else's activism. But, um, you know, but I do, um, my work is based on building personal relationships um, and deepening those personal relationships. Because when you love somebody, you love someone who is transgender. You love somebody who is, um, you know, who is uh, a lesbian, or you love somebody who is black, you love somebody who is Latinx, um, you are more likely to care about other people in that community. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's where the, the work that I do. And I, and, and I think that there are many, many opportunities to find a workshop or, you know, a talk or something, and then you have to go and practice it. You have to step outside of that comfort zone because none of this work is comfortable. None of it. You know, but for, for far too long, many of us have just been, you know, we are, we're just, we're doing our thing, you know, and, it, and it's hard to see that something is happening to someone else when it hasn't happened to you. Um, it's hard to be empathetic. And so by, by doing this kind of work, you become more empathetic. So Thank tough. you for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's super tough. And I hesitate because I, um, I appreciate you taking on that question because I feel like as a white person, I also don't want to ask people of color to do this unpaid, like extra unpaid emotional labor. And so I try to be pretty sensitive about that because like in some of the times that I've talked about gender equality and stuff like the, some of the questions I get from men, I'm just like, gosh, why is this? Or the unfollows, like the unfollows are gnarly and it's just it it really a blessing. It's always a blessing. Is it, is it always a blessing though, Myrna? Always I don't a blessing know. People unfollow. Is it? I I've, I've been losing a lot lately, but um, <laughs> like um. Anyway, it's just yeah, it's such a problem. It's something I've been thinking about. I know we've all been thinking about it a lot lately. It's been unless you're like living, not watching the news and living under a rock. But I mean, it's been it has been cool to see how many more white people. And I've seen a lot of white women, I've seen a lot of women of color and white women, especially on Instagram, speaking up a lot about it. I haven't seen many white men mm -hmm. in a few, but I'd like to see more work from the white men out there. The really powerful ones that have the biggest followings, like I haven't seen them talk about it as much. And so I feel like there's a big, that's like me calling you in white men out there who aren't writing about the racial injustice and the murders of these black people recently in this yeah systemic problem i'm i'm asking you to write about it <laughs> stop I'm being silent you. what's that i'm asking you to please yeah um well thanks for taking that question on um i i was curious like if you could like reimagine the outdoor community what changes would you want to see or like what would it look like how would it be different um you know i more people would just have access to outdoor spaces or the like the outdoor spaces that you and I imagine, like the mountains and stuff like, because, you know, but the other thing is like, I want people to know that, you know, there are different versions of 
outdoors. When I grew up in Brooklyn, like we were outside all the time. And I think if I had not had that time outside, just sitting on a stoop or in the neighborhood park, you know, I, maybe I wouldn't like the, our version of the outdoors, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, the outdoors can be the, the sea, it can be a lake, it can be a pond, it can be your neighborhood park. Um, You know, there's so many different ways of being outdoors and there's not, you don't have to, you don't have to go up Everest. No, you know, it's cool. It's cool that people do, you know, but like, you know, I love taking my family on like little hikes and um, my mother went on her first ever hike with REI with our, um, our, we were at Altessa and, um, and she like her face just lit up and she was worried about being last. And, you know, they were, you know, REI is so good about that. Um, you know, they had, were their instructors and like, we were just taking it easy. And like, we, we, you know, she had never done more than like a mile or something. And she did 3.4 miles and like, and her heart just lit up. She was so happy to do something new. And, and as I would love to see more programming um, that took care of the whole experience from like access. And, you know, lots of people don't have vehicles. Lots of people don't have, um, you know, they don't even know what, you know, outside of their own little outdoors, um, and uh, and make it easy and make it invitational, and to meet people where they are. There's there's I have some issues with the ways in which um, outdoor education is done, particularly with urban kids. Um, uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but we don't have to talk about that. Now. <laughs> but I think that that some of that needs to change. Um, I think uh, some people just need a gradual introduction to, uh, you know, something that they've never really been uh, or had access to um, rather than like just throw everybody in. And then like some people are going to hate it. Two people are going to love it. Right. You know, um, but that's just me. Um, and just having been a part of those types of experience also, um, you know, I want I just want to see all types of people and I, I don't want to be stared at. That's, that's, you know, I, I don't want to be stared at. And I don't, I don't want to feel like, oh, do you, do you know what you're doing? You know, do, you, do, you, do you know, like, what? I get that um, all the time too. That, like people that, always turn to my husband and they're like, where are you two going? Like, who's this little friend you have over there? And I'm like, I'm leading him. Right. <laughs> like on trip leader. <laughs> I get um, so upset about that. Yeah. My husband knows to be behind me. Cause I'm like, um, no, cause you don't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like I, there, there, there are lots of things, but like, I think there's a feeling, there's a vibe that like, I don't want to walk into a space and, and have people be like, why are you here? Um, you know, with their faces and their body language and I have to say it, I know what you're thinking. Um, and, and so like, and that, I think that goes for anyone, like when they're in a new space, um, you know, you want to feel like, even if you're new, that people are like, oh, oh, well, welcome, you know, yeah. let, me, let me just welcome you into our family and let's do some really cool things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I love that. Thank you so much. Okay. Is there, I was, so I end every podcast with a few rapid fire questions. So if it's cool, I'll jump oh, into those. At rapid fire. Okay. <laughs> What's that? It's like, I'm not good at rapid fire. <laughs> Well, well, you let's can do take, it. Let's, okay. Up for a challenge. Favorite TV show of the moment? It's Creek. What? Oh, Shit's Creek. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't really get into that one, but I've heard that it's really good from a lot of people. You have to give it another, you have to give it another chance. Okay. I think I just need to get past the first few episodes. Okay. Yes. Fav, 
Favorite book of the moment. Favorite book of the moment, Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. Okay, I'll link to that. Favorite color. Oh, that changes. Uh, teal. Teal, okay. Yeah. Favorite food. Oh, man. Um, favorite, I just, everything. <laughs> I um, feel you. Like, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna pass. <laughs> <laughs> The morning person or night owl? Oh, morning person. Definitely. And a piece of advice you'd give to your younger self? Find a way. You know, Diana Nyad's book, Find a Way. I haven't read it. I'll have to check it out. Another. The open water swimmer, right? It's about swimming. Find a way. Crush those obstacles, crawl under them, crawl over them, kick them down. Relentless. I love that. Okay. So how can we support your work and continue to follow you? Sure. Um, I have a Patreon. Okay. (laughs) Um, Where I do, uh, you know, I love, I have a a, a big community um, on Facebook, on Instagram, and I love doing work that that is uh, inclusive. I do a lot of research. You know, I mean, it is my professional background, but I still am in it, um, even though I don't even though I don't do it like full time right now. Um, and I and I work really hard on creating community. So um, I that's where a lot of that's where the bulk of my time is spent when I'm not traveling. And, and, I, and I do workshops and stuff like that. And um, and so and I also do coaching. Um, and so, uh, so you can support me on my Patreon, Patreon slash The Mernovator. Uh, I have a book called, that we discussed earlier, called A Beautiful Work in Progress. Um, that is, you know, what a time writing that. Um, <laughs> or you can follow me um, on Instagram, on Twitter, on what's the other Facebook? I don't do TikTok yet. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I will link to all those in the show notes. Is there anything else you wanted to add today? Um, uh, yes, this time is a gift. Use it as such. That was a great way to end. Thank you so much, Myrna. It was so amazing to connect with you. I'm so happy that we got to spend this time together and yeah, just continue to let me know how I can. I'm like always cheering for you back here in Utah. And so I hope we get to do like a trail run or a cool adventure together in real life sometime. Yes, we will. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Avery Sandak for all of his help with the audio engineering of the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. Until next time.